Hey everybody, Christian here. Uh, before we get to the podcast, uh, I want to of course mention that the SAG after strike is still going on and I fully, if it's not fully obvious at this point, I fully support the SAG after strike. Uh, there's both strikes when they were going on. Of course, the writer strike, you know, they got their deal done, uh, and the writer and the actors are still working on theirs. So I just want to come out and say that I, I, I fully 100 support, you know, fully 100% support, uh, the, the strikes that are going on right now. Uh, I know, you know, that some of this stuff has struck work probably. And, um, as much as, you know, this podcast is fueled by movie news and, and movies that are coming out. And a lot of that stuff was of course by the AMTPA or the AMTAP. Sorry. Uh, I, I, you know, I wanted to do this podcast. It's something that I, you know, we, I, I did last year and I wanted to do it again. And, um, I just want to fully come on and say that even though we're talking about some of this work, it doesn't take away the fact that what the actors are fighting for, what SAG-AFTRA is fighting for, what the WGA was fighting for is not right. Obviously, everyone deserves to have a living wage and not be worried where the next paycheck is coming from or the fact that they can't pay anything. So uh, I just wanted to put that out there before, you know, the podcast gets going. I don't want anybody thinking that because um, I'm talking about all these movies that I, you know, am not in support of the SAG-AFTRA strike. I am very, very clearly support in them uh so i hope they get their deal done soon uh that said this is just a f you know uh, i'm just doing this for fun and doing a fun little podcast so uh thank you guys for listening in advance and hope you enjoy the podcast <laughs> and hello everybody it's christian renteria this is the movie pit podcast and it is the end of spooky season so you know what that means that's right it's time to run down some horror movies and as you can see, I'm talking about the horror movies that came out this year. I did this last year, uh, and I'm going to make this kind of a, perma a permanent feature here on the Movie Pit Podcast for October slash spooky season, especially, you know, here uh, near toward the end. Uh, like last year, the horror movies and horror adjacent movies, which we'll, we'll also, you know, get into a little bit, uh, were plenty. Uh, but are, are the horror movies this year as good as last year's? If you remember some of the big horror movies that came out last year, Scream, X, Pearl, uh, together, of course, that little combo there, The Black Phone, Nope, Bodies, 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 Barbarian, Terrifier 2 for all you sickos out there, Halloween Ends, Smile, The Menu, and Pray. Uh, there were more movies, of course, especially on streaming, but those I feel like were the those I feel like were the movies that everyone was talking about anyway, for better or for worse. Uh, and last year, even a, a little bit of the year before the conversation going on was, is horror back? Uh, mainstream horror, that is. For uh, for a while, the big studio horror movies were somewhat lacking, and, and someone decided to put something in the water, and out came the great uh, year uh, of horror movies last year in 2022. This year, there have been uh, some great horror movies, at least in my opinion, of course, but the question is, and was, uh, when the year started, will studio horror movies fall back after, you know, the great year that was last year? And it, it tends to be a trend in horror movies where we have our ups and then we have our downs. And sometimes even in the downs, we go even further down. Was that the case this year? Let's get into it. I'm going to be doing this pretty much in the order of release. So bear with me. There's, these are, movies are not in order in any sort of way. Uh, they're not ranked just because I talk about a movie first or last doesn't mean uh, I find it better than uh, than the rest. And mind you, uh, these are the movies that I have watched. There are there are movies that I didn't uh, get to at, at any point 
this year. Uh, those movies were Skinnamarink. That was kind of the first real big one. And uh, that movie tends to, <laughs> tends to, even in the horror crowd, tends to be like, you're going to like this movie or you're not going to. So there was that one. Uh, Infinity Pool, which is the new movie by David Cordenberg's uh, son, which uh, his first name uh, is just not in my mind right now, but that came out, um, that was only playing like for a week in in my area, so I didn't get a chance to watch that. Uh, Bo is Afraid, which is of course the new Ari Aster movie, which I still have not gotten to. A Haunting in Venice, which is the new Hercule Poirot movie directed by Kenneth Branagh. Uh, I haven't gotten a chance to, for that either. And then uh, this one's kind of more on the newer side. Uh, Prime Video's Totally Killer, uh, which I wanted to watch because I, I believe, if I remember correctly, it is directed by um, Christopher Landon, who of course did uh, the Happy Death Day movies and uh, and Freaky. Uh, and I wanted to kind of get on board with that. If I, if I remember correctly, he was the one, or he's associated with it in some way, shape, or form. Okay, uh, onwards to the horror, horror Jason movies I've seen this year. Again, these are not ranked. They're basically just really the order I kind of saw them in uh, coming out because that's just how I keep track of my movies now. First, I want to point out these movies because I don't have much to say about them, but I do want to mention them. Uh, so I guess this can be kind of be an, an honorable mention uh, section, if you will. Uh, Cocaine Bear. Obviously, a lot's been said about Cocaine Bear already. 65, which is, of course, the Adam Sandler movie. Or Adam Sandler. The Adam, that would have been a very different movie. The Adam Driver movie with Dinosaurs. The Pope's Exorcist, of course, the Russell Crowe movie, uh, Renfield. Honestly, the only reason to watch Renfield is for the Nicolas Cage uh, Dracula. Uh, the Boogeyman, which I thought was very effective, was, was directed by Rob Savage, who directed uh, The Host, uh, or, or Host, just not The Host. That's a different movie. Directed Host uh, that came out, of course, at the start of the pandemic, and I was really looking forward to that. Uh, Insidious The Red Door, which is directed by Patrick Wilson, making his directorial debut. Uh, the Blackening, uh, that is a movie that you're either in on the joke, and if you're not, it's just going to be a rough watch for you. And then uh, Bird Box Barcelona, which uh, I, I had a hard time getting into considering uh, the take that they were, the direction they were going in, but uh, I also was intrigued by it, so that kind of made it a conflicting watch for me. Uh, finally, the last honorable mention I want to mention, uh, actually I had one more honorable mention, and this one makes me mad. And it's made me mad because I've been looking at, I've been working on this outline and it's been made me mad and I'm still mad to, even to this, even to this day. A Haunted Mansion. I feel like Disney didn't have faith in Haunted Mansion. Yes, the strikes were going on, but there is no way this movie wouldn't have been more successful if it came out in October. This is a great family horror film. If you haven't watched it yet, I know it's been on Disney Plus, uh, which is great because people can watch it now, especially around this time, which is phenomenal. But if this movie opened in theaters in October, I guarantee you would have made more money. It's not too scary for little kids. It's got the lore from the ride. It's nice Easter eggs. It's a great cast to boot as well. And like Keith Stanfield, Owen Wilson, Danny DeVito, Tiffany Haddish, uh, Rosario Dawson. It's so dumb that they released this in the middle of summer. I'm still mad about it. The movie's fine. It's not overly great. And, you know, if I, I would have definitely been more upset and crying this from, you know, every hilltop I can find or every, you know, tall building, but the movie's just fine. But it still irritates me because it's even dumber that they release this in the middle of summer. There is a scene that literally takes place on Halloween, literally on Halloween, and you couldn't find it anywhere in your schedule to release this in October. It's overly dumb that they didn't release this in October. Anyway, uh, those are the honorable mentions, I guess, before I, you know, get even, um, 
matter at myself. So those are the honorable mentions. Let's move on to the movies that I actually watched. The first one we're going to talk about is Megan. Of course, Megan literally kicked off the new year, or this year rather, um, and it was a kickoff indeed. This movie was literally everywhere, building up to the release. Yeah, it was at football games. It was on you know talk shows. It was everywhere. Uh, you know uh, the Megan dance and everything just took over the world. And it, it, as soon as it came out, it felt like a sequel was immediately announced. It's a killer doll with AI, and, and, and you know people were making the Chucky comparisons and, and all that. I did enjoy the movie. I liked that it did focus very heavily on the relationship between Megan and the, the little girl uh, Katie before the final act and, and, you know, before going, you know, outright bonkers. At the same time, I wish we got a little bit more because it did just feel like it was all build up. And sometimes a movie like that, when it's a movie that's all build up, the execution of the build up has to be good because otherwise everything else doesn't matter. Uh, And and here I I was, um, I I I was in the middle to be completely honest. Uh, I know the unrated cut has a lot more of the, the killings and, and stuff like that, but I just, you know, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I am interested, though, in seeing what they do with the sequel and seeing either how they set it up and, you know, up the ante and, and how Megan will come back uh, after they teased it. Uh, so I, I am interested in that, and, and hopefully we'll get to see that in the future. So Megan, you know, starts off the list because she started off the new year. Knock on the Cabin. And that's the next movie, uh, M. Night Shyamalan's latest movie based off the novel Cabin, uh, Cabin at the End of the World. It was pretty good. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, M. Night, you know, had three solid hits, the, the Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, and Signs. And then things started to go downhill, and he reached the bottom of the barrel, and he just kept going and going and going. And we know what movies, we don't mention them, but we know what they were. He took a few years off, he came back with Split, and everyone was like, yeah, this is this is the M. Night we missed. This is the M. Night Shyamalan that we missed. This is what we liked. And then Glass and Old came out, and they were either mixed or not met with much fanfare. Old, unfortunately, got the, the short end of the stick, you know, coming out during the pandemic. So, you know, maybe that kind of got lost in the shuffle. But even, even then, the movie was just okay. Uh, knock at the Cabin, though. Felt like old M. Night. Builds up the tension and never lets go until it absolutely has to. And this, and with this concept and the overall story, it lends itself to it because it's supposed to keep you guessing. There are four strangers led by Dave Batista of all people. Uh, you know, are they telling the truth? Does someone in this family that, that we follow, do they have to die in order to stop the apocalypse? And my only real gripe with this movie is that it tips its hand too much. And it basically, for me, kind of removes the choice and mystery for the audience by the end. Even if that was the end goal, if that's what Shyamalan wanted to do, which is fine, if that's what he wanted to do, it does downplay the the whole mystery aspect. Um, Basically, what this movie is built on, uh, it kind of, you know, it just kind of takes that away. And it, it doesn't make the movie any less good at least for me but taking that choice away from us definitely didn't help uh the small cast is great and i think that's one of the reasons why it really works uh everyone is on their end game and they totally are in on the idea of this movie i did enjoy knock at the cabin a lot uh but it came out very early in the year and i do hope that people will remember by the end of the year Uh, i know i will just because you know of everything that kind of happened with that uh moving on scream six 
Uh, jumping off the success of Scream, the new core characters, of course, return with the legacy characters and actors in Courtney Cox and the returning Hayden Panettiere's Kirby, which fans have wanted back. And uh, while Scream 5 was noteworthy and a decent return to the franchise, Scream 6's legacy will be taking the franchise out of Woodsboro and into New York City, which in theory, and the building up to it was cool, but in the actual movie, besides the, tr the train sequence, it's a little lackluster in terms of it being said in New York. It's just like a different city, basically. It, 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 the posters, like I said, did a better job. Everything that leading up to the movie did a better job, I feel like, incorporating New York City into the movie other than or rather than the actual movie itself uh yeah it took you know the action out of woodsboro but it's still still a screen movie it, it it just you know you can just say it's taking place in the downtown of whatever wherever woodsboro is supposed to take place i forgot already um the train sequence is cool which thankfully it plays out differently in the movie than it did in the trailers a little bit but i i you know I, again, for me, the movie was just okay. I, I wanted to like it more than I did. I'm not saying it's bad. I just wanted to like it more than I did. And I do feel like it wasn't... like I still feel like this. these movies are afraid to pull the trigger. And I feel like that's one of the con common criticisms. Uh, or at least, uh, definitely for me, the common criticism for the Scream franchise. Even though that's what these movies are. They're kind of, you know, uh, lending themselves to criticism. Because, you know, they're criticizing the whole horror genre. Uh, you know, we know that anybody can die and they always you know the main characters are always going to get in trouble yeah they can get stabbed or knocked out or survive a fatal stabbing that another character doesn't survive because they're the main characters we're not going to kill out those characters and double for dewey you know especially because he wasn't supposed to survive the movies he was in but he did somehow um scream it, I don't know. I just I just feel like they're afraid to pull the trigger a little bit, and I I hope they kind of pull the trigger here because they they made the movie feel like it was a big deal, and then it just you know turned out to be just you know another screen movie. Uh, Scream Seven is already in the works uh, now with a different director behind the camera. Christopher Landon's coming in, like I mentioned, director of Happy Death Day and Freaky. I did like what Radio Silence did uh, with the movies. They paid respect to the franchise while also doing its own thing. I know the whole Nev Campbell thing is just going to throw people out of whack and, and make people angry, but, um, you know, I'm I'm in that camp of, I think they already have closed the book on Sydney's character and her story. I don't think they need her back. Bringing her back is just, I don't know, I just, it, it just, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't know. Just, maybe I'm not thinking out of the box for what they can do with her. Besides making her the killer, that's the only really other thing they can do with sydney uh but that's just me all right moving on uh to another franchise that took its uh base location to a new location in its new installment evil dead rise uh the new evil dead takes the action out of the cabin except for that great opening sequence which is awesome and uh into a high-rise building in the middle of the city and it does so in a pretty decent to good effect the gore in this movie <laughs> Is crazy. I don't think any of us that watched that movie and and liked that movie or thought about that movie since then have looked at a cheese grater the same way since. Um, I would almost say this isn't as gory as the 2013 Evil Dead, but I think the elevator scene does give it a run for its money uh, on that end. 
it, it does at times feel like its pace is slow, but I, but I, most of that time, I think it's building out the family dynamic. Uh, so when these terrible things happen to the family, you feel for them. Uh, the high rise setting is a welcome change. Could have been more sure, but I think they do a good job in the movie explaining why they're stuck in the uh, in the actual apartment and and the floor that they're on. Uh, I know everyone has and will compare our new main hero Beth to Ash or even Mia from the new Evil Dead movie, and that's kind of unfair. I, I think Beth, you know, uh, does what she can to the best of her advantage here in, in the movie. And, you know, she's obviously doing the best, you know, she can with the script and everything like that. The actress, anyway. And, and we do have a Bruce Campbell cameo in, in the movie. At least his voice. He's in, voice-wise is in there. I like Evil Dead. Will I say it's the best one of the series? No. Will I even say that I like it more than the 2013 movie? Personally, no. Because that, that 2013 version, the Fede Alvarez version, it, 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 it scared the crap out of me when I first watched it. So, uh, I, that's going to be a very, you know, tall task for any movie other than that. But, uh, let's move on to the next movie, uh, on the list. Talk to me, uh, A24, of course, the king of elevated horror. And I know that term is now in the vocabulary of making some people's eyes, you know, roll back into the, into their head, like a possessed demon. But talk to me is for 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 all extent and purposes, uh, or all intent and purposes, elevated horror, uh, from the great shock value opening to the uneasiness you feel these characters taking this whole situation at first of talking to the other side very lightly to the decision that our you know our lead character has to make at the end uh, to the uh, very gut punching ending. Talk to me. Uh, once it gets going is something that will stick with you even after you watch it now is it a fully scary movie not really and and maybe i'm just you know like i mentioned uh i'm pretty, pretty sure i've mentioned this already uh desensitized to some aspects of horror i didn't find talk to me to be the scariest movie of the year or even the scariest movie of all time like some people hyped it up to be um it does have scary moments it also has some creepy moments but at the end of the day it's much more than just a scary or creepy movie it is a24 after all this is a movie about trauma and it masks um that with uh addiction which is very very cool it's something i did not see come i mean addiction is not cool but the way they put the story together with that and, and mix you know mix both of them together was uh, something i didn't see coming at all and it was a very clever way uh, of doing that into the story. Uh, I was not disappointed by Talk to Me, even you know after I said all that. Very far from it. Uh, I was just—I don't know if I was just expecting more, which is you know something that, uh, in hindsight, was you know something I shouldn't shouldn't have done because A twenty four you know doesn't make the typical full blown jump scary you know horror movies. They do make you know again elevated horror. Um, but talk to me is definitely one of, it's definitely a movie, especially on horror lists that will probably be, you know, everywhere by the end of the year. And we'll definitely be talking more about talk to me, uh, when we get to that point at the end of the year here on this podcast, our next movie, it's pretty rare to get a full fledged movie based off a single chapter of a book. And I am talking about, of course, the last voyage of the Demeter. It is based off the Captain's Log section of Bram Stoker's Dracula. 
It, of course, follows the ship, the Demeter, uh, as it leaves Transylvania to London. Unbeknownst to the crew, of course, they are carrying Dracula, and he gets out of his crate and, of course, starts hunting down the, the crew one by one. I had been actually looking forward to this for some time. I actually really, really like Andre Oladol's work. Of course, he directed Troll Hunter, uh, The Autopsy of Jane Doe, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, and now this. So I was happy he was getting a big project like this with a cast like this. And it's a pretty you know well-known cast. You know, some people that you've probably seen in, in, in other works. Uh, of course, led by Corey Hawkins in the movie. Uh, the movie, though, that said, the movie, it wasn't that... Great. Uh, there were some good parts um, that I really liked. I liked the fact that they went as practical as possible for Dracula, played by Javier Potet. They did CG him a lot uh, at certain moments, and uh, but you know, for for the most part, we do know that the Dracula makeup was even a little bit uh, practical. And the contained horror idea is really cool. Obviously, you know, this isn't the first horror movie we've seen on a ship, but the fact that it's you know, an old-timey ship. It's a period piece. That that makes it, you know, so much worse. So execution-wise, the movie didn't work. Had a lot of good things going for it. It just, it just couldn't make it work at the, at, at the end. And speaking about the ending, I'm not going to, you know, spoil it. But the ending really bothered me. Because the way it ends. And it, it sets it up in a way where it's like... I mean, you know, granted, this is based off a book. It, there is more to the story because it is, you know, Dracula. But the way they did it in the movie... It's like they were trying to do something else and create its own thing, but it doesn't make any sense because, like, you're basing this off, you know, already done work. Why would you go that direction? That doesn't make, I don't know what, I don't know. I didn't like it. Uh, so there's that. On the next movie, The Nun 2, uh, The Nun, or Valak, uh, the most memorable, one of the most memorable, if not the most memorable character and creation from The Conjuring 2. So much show. Of course, she got her own spinoff and, you know, a sequel. That's the one we're talking about right now. Even crazier, and I always love this part, um, The Nun wasn't even in the original script for The Conjuring 2. That was a character created in reshoots. So we got this these two spinoff movies of a character that wasn't even originally, you know, the original design of the uh, of the the villain, I guess the demon, uh, in, in in the original overall. So I wasn't the biggest fan of the first movie. I, I will get that out of the way. Uh, besides, you know, very few parts. I, I do mean very few parts. Um, I, I liked it, and I and even this, I didn't have a chance to rewatch the first one uh, before I watched this. So I don't really remember. I didn't really remember too much of the first movie. And but one of the things that does always get me about the first movie, and even this one um, here, it, I couldn't get over the fact that Taisa Farmiga, who plays uh, our main character, Sister Irene, at no point, no point does does this movie or even the first movie. I think the first movie tries to do it, but it, it's done in a way where it's like ah, just be coincidence, or they were just trying to connect it back to the Conjuring movies in, in general. Um, there is, you know, they make no connection, not even a weird connection that Taisa Farmiga, Sister Irene, looks exactly like Vera Farmiga, who plays Lorraine Warren in the main Conjuring movies. Um, the only real connection is that they see stuff. That's it. Which is, I, I guess, you know, I you don't want to overcomplicate the movie, the movies. I don't know. Uh, but that's the only real thing. All that said. I would say an improvement from the first movie because I did I do remember at least enjoying the Nun Two. Um, it is 
somewhat still lacking in a lot of departments. Uh, I think some of the jump scares were okay, even though uh, some of them were just like, eh, you know, it's stuff I've seen before. But I also feel like the nun and Valak, I'll just call her the nun at this point, because I don't even, they don't, I don't think they even, they don't even call her Valak in these movies. The nun, she wasn't in it enough, which is weird for a nun movie. She's not in the movie enough. And I think getting into why she's not in the movie enough will be a spoiler, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just, you know, I, I just wish it had played out a little differently. I like the spinoff movies, you know, the Nun movies, the Annabelle movies. I enjoy them. I should say like. I enjoy them for what they are. And one of the things that I will at least give the, you know, the spinoff movies credit for is, yes, the, they are spun off of the Conjuring movies. But they don't go out of their way to, uh, you know, heavy hand or force hand and on the nose connection to the main franchise. Like, yeah, again, like I said, these movies are spinoff. Annabelle Comes Home being the only one because it's set in between two Conjuring movies. But they don't, you know, make any references. And, you know, they don't say like, oh, it's someone else's problem now. Wink, wink. Like, they don't they do not do that, which I think is, you know, they live in their own world. And the Nun movies predate the Conjuring movies because they're set like in the 50s. So, you know, you have that going for them. So if they do another one, you know, I guess they can, they can get away with it. But all right, there's that. Uh, moving on. It Lives Inside. Uh, I knew nothing about this movie until I saw the trailer for the first time. I think I saw the trailer for the first time in front of Insidious, maybe even before that. Um, the trailer creeped me out because it, it was a very effective trailer. So I, I was excited to watch this. I like that it was pulling from a different culture that, you know, we usually don't see in horror movies or, you know, get, you know, as big of a release like this. So it was a nice refresher. And because of that, I gave it a lot of points for that. Is it changing the genre? Not really. I would even say that you could probably do this with a double feature of uh, The Boogeyman uh, that came out, again, earlier this year. Because there's a scene in here that's very, very similar to The Boogeyman. And um, I, didn't re- I, didn't re- I realized it, like, it's in the trailers. And I didn't realize it until I saw it in the movie. I was like, wait a minute, this is like the... Like this is like the boogeyman, um, so there there is that. I did enjoy it lives inside. Uh, I thought that I thought it was pretty effective for what it was trying to do, um, and for what it was. Uh, I don't know if people will remember this at the end of the year because I don't think it did that great at the box office from what I can remember. Um, maybe a rewatch will be good for me too because when I went to go watch it, I didn't have the best theater going audience. Uh, but, um, I think this will definitely, you know, kind of lend itself to, to rewatches cause there's a lot of stuff going, I mean, there's not, you know, too much stuff going on, but there's a lot of stuff that I think on a rewatch, you can, um, you know, kind of, you know, put the pieces together and, and figure out what, you know, what more is going on. So I just want to mention that cause it was very, I, I did enjoy it for what it was. Um, the next movie saw X, uh, jigsaw is back again and for like the third time. Cause he keeps coming back anyway. Look, I have only seen the first three Saw movies, and I saw Jigsaw. All of these movies, I've seen all the other movies rather. I've seen bits and pieces of through you know online or you know or something like that, or through the Kill Count uh, on Dead Meat uh, on YouTube. I like the first two movies, especially the first one. The twist in the first movie is still something that everyone talks about, and surprised they're able to pull that off. Um, obviously the franchise has gone through some changes. It went from the, you know, the gritty, grimy kind of psychological thriller that the first movie did and slowly started becoming these, you know, the, the blood fest or the t- torture porn as the term gets thrown around. But with Saw X, 
you know, because they brought back Tobin Bell, because they brought back Shawnee Smith, and because it's a it's a it's a prequel, it takes place in between the first and second movie. Um, it, it feels different from the other movies, at least from what again from what I've been able to tell. It's also a much more kind of like personal movie because a personal revenge movie for Jigsaw. So he has that you know connection to them and connection to his victims. All these people had, you know, something to do with, you know, him. The basic premise of the movie, in case you you don't know, is that Jigsaw finds, or Jigsaw, uh, John Kramer, rather, finds, you know, this kind of miracle surgery that can help him uh, cure his cancer. It's in Mexico. It's, like, very, very, like, underground kind of thing. And, uh, of course, you know, he gets swindled. it's, It's, you know, it doesn't work because, you know, these people were just taking money. And the worst thing you can do to uh, someone like that is give them hope and a false hope at that. And, of course, the one person, the wrong person you do it to just happens to be Jigsaw, uh, which is very bad luck on your part. But whatever happens to you, you have coming. Uh, So there is that. Uh, I didn't expect much for the movie, to be honest, because, again, I, I wasn't, you know, the biggest fan of the other movies and I hadn't watched really all the other movies but I did not expect this movie to be as bloody and violent as it was, even though, yes, I was watching a, a Saw movie. I was squinting in my seat for some of the stuff that was happening. So the practical effects in this movie, because a lot of it seemed practical, uh, was super impressive. And the work was really damn good. So kudos and shout out to the special effects team for uh, for Saw X. The next movie is No One Will Save You, admittedly. I watched this movie in chunks because I, I, I watched it at work, but this movie is pretty damn good. And I think the most impressive thing about this movie and the thing that makes this uh, movie stand out is the lack of dialogue. There is r- little, and I mean truly, little to no dialogue in this movie. And I don't want to give too much away because I think the less you know about the movie, the better. And this is really one of those movies where I think your experience watching it without knowing too much about it is going to lend a more um, better opinion uh, of the movie. Uh, But the basic premise of the movie is girl gets hunted down by gray aliens. That's all you got to know. And these aliens don't give a shit. They will wreck everything in front of them to get to their goal. And Kayleen Deaver, by the way, is is the girl uh, in the movie. Um, she does a great job, phenomenal job, at displaying her emotions with only her face. Um, because, again, little to no dialogue in this movie. And uh, Brian Duffer, who directed and wrote this movie, he's directed one other movie, and it was Spontaneous, the movie that came out, I think, two years ago, something like that, um, where the you know kids are starting to you know spontaneously combust and blow up he did that um and he also wrote the babysitter movies he also wrote underwater he was one of the writers on underwater uh the kristen stewart movie uh it felt like i say this as a joke just because it's it seemed like it was real like he had access to real aliens like what would you guys do torturing this little girl or just not a little girl but torturing this girl by herself in her house what would you guys do just go ahead and do it because that's what it felt like um I did enjoy watching No One Will Save Me. Uh, I can see why the reaction, because obviously this movie came out. Uh, it didn't come out last month uh, or late last month or earlier this month. Um, but I can see why in the reaction to the movie, why some people re- really like this movie and some people really don't. And I get it. 
Um, at the end of the day, it is a simple kind of survivor story. Uh, the ending is really one of those things where it's going to make it or break it for you. Uh, so there, there is that. I will give it that. But the rest of the movie, very, very good. I really enjoyed it. The next movie we're going to talk about. Exorcist, The Exorcist Believer. Um, and I, I briefly tweeted about this um, uh, on the Twitter on the Twitter account or the X account, whatever you want to call it. I'm still going to call it Twitter. I really wanted to like this movie more than I did. I really did. And I know that statement is true for a lot of people that see it just from the reaction. Look, it's going to be hard to get anywhere near as good as the first Exorcist movie. I haven't seen any of the sequels. I mean, I've seen parts of the sequels. I haven't seen, you know, all that. I haven't sat down and watched one entirely in a row. But from what I remember, they, they weren't as good from what I can remember. Um, I, I obviously had to go back and rewatch them. Uh, and I, I didn't watch the TV series, which I, which I hear nothing but good things about. So I had to, you know, go up and do that. But Believer, before we get to um, everything, it's supposed to set up a new trilogy from what I read. And the trilogy is going to happen no matter what, because of whatever deal they made uh, when they got the rights, they have to make three movies. So this movie's not doing hot at the box, or it wasn't doing hot at the box office. It, I think the, the, they uh, projected, uh, they were projected to do bigger numbers their opening weekend, and it way it didn't reach that at all. So I, I don't know how that movie's. You know, I haven't kept track on you know how well the movie's doing at the box office, but they're making the tr- the the trilogy no matter what. And listen. David Gordon Green, he wants to direct a horror movie. Let him. I think he has a good grasp of horror and what it takes to make a horror movie. But maybe stop giving him legacy sequels. Uh, I, I liked what he did with Hall- Halloween 2018. I see what he was trying to do with Halloween Kills. And Halloween Ends, probably, you know, better left untalked about. But The Exorcist Believer is not a good movie. It isn't. There are good parts to it. I really like the beginning and Haiti. Uh, I thought the relationship between Leslie Odom Jr. and Lydia Jewett, who plays uh, his daughter and one of the possessed girls in the movie, seemed real. I think that relationship seems sort of real. I, I did think there was probably like a little something off about it, but I think for the most part it was kind of real. I did wish uh, we saw a little bit more though, because I think it would have you know made that connection even stronger uh, near the end of the movie. And Dowd is great. As the next door neighbor, who was also a nurse that helps Odom and, and the girls at the end. But that's about it. That's all I really liked. Uh, Eileen Burstein comes back as Chris McNeil for for really nothing. It's a glorified cameo. And it's such a waste to bring her back. It really is. She brings nothing to this movie. And, you know, it, it's been said and it's been reported that she only did the movie for the money. And she, you know, uh, donated that money to, I think, like, a, or she started a foundation or donated to a foundation. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's, it, no, there, there's no reason to bring her back. And the reason why they brought her back, I felt like, besides, you know, having that connection to the to the first movie, is for something they do at the end, which, by the end of the movie, I, I didn't care. I did not care one bit. It, it would have been cool if it was a better movie, but it wasn't. And that scene just... It just, I, I, I forgot, I was listening to a podcast and they said that, I think it was Double Toasted, they said that that thing they do at the end with her character is basically a fuck you to the audience, and I think that's kind of what, and I agree with that statement. Um, so it's definitely a disappointment, especially considering 
for me, how good the trailers were. Because I really liked the trailers. The trailers were very effective. Uh, I thought the trailers were effective. And it's disappointing that the movie was not as good as the trailers. Uh, the next movie we want to talk about, not a disappointment, uh, Cobweb. Now, this is one of those movies that flew under the radar and that people... The people that did see it were like, you guys should really watch this movie. And the only reason you probably didn't watch it or even knew this movie existed until uh, it came out on Hulu or is because of Lionsgate. Lionsgate did a terrible job of promoting this movie. They did a terrible job of releasing this movie. There was barely any trailers, especially when it came out and what, the day they released it. Because Lionsgate, dumb enough, really dumb. Released this movie the same weekend as Barbenheimer. Yeah, the biggest weekend in Hollywood in quite some time. They released this little small horror movie on the biggest weekend where you knew no one was going to watch this movie uh, until maybe the weekend afterward. Because everyone was going to go see Barbie. Everyone was going to go see Oppenheimer. And it was very apparent because no one knew this movie came out except for the hardcore horror fans and, you know, people who paid attention to movie release dates like me. I even barely knew this movie was coming out. Um, so very, you know, poor job of uh, of Lionsgate for doing that. Uh, so the movie, for those unfamiliar, never heard about it. It does star Lizzie Kaplan and Homelander himself, Anthony Starr, as parents to Peter, um, a young boy, a uh, young actor named Woody Norman. Um, decent job in this movie. Uh, he's a young boy who at one night hears knocking and something moving in his bedroom's walls. Of course, he tries to figure out what it is. And to some extent, he does. I won't give away what it is, but he does. And then, at that point, he starts to become very distrusting of his parents. And his parents are a little shady. And that is one of my only real gripes with the movie, especially when it comes to how they handled uh, Lizzie Kaplan's character, the mother. They play it a little too heavy-handed. The movie tries to explain why she is the way she is and why she's acting the way she is. And I guess it makes sense. But I think if they, if it was like a progression thing, I think it would have made it even better. But it's, but it, it it starts off almost immediately of how they are. And that is just something that, you know, it kind of, it's one of my real grabs in this movie. Um, star is really good. It's, it's star, even though he plays a dad, he's kind of like not there all the time. He has these very small moments and sometimes he has one very like, kind of sweet moment and then he has this one and then it's just a 180 because he has this very terrifying intense scene in the kitchen and i will always say that and it's what the only other kind of real adult character in the movie um uh mr vine who is a substitute teacher for peter who becomes interested in peter uh, not not in the romantic way but interested in him because he starts drawing these creepy pictures because of course that's what kids do uh in movies they draw creepy pictures that draws the attention of some adults or at least one adult and it just happens to be his substitute teacher the movie is also real tight it moves it never really slows down there's not really a pacing issue it's trying to get to the end and when it gets there it, it goes i want to say it goes in direction i didn't necessarily see coming it went in a direction where I just wanted to know more and how we, how we got to that point and how it got to that. I, obviously, I don't want to spoil anything, but I just wanted to know just a little tiny bit more. I like the ending, um, but also the ending or the, the final act uh, rather. But the ending itself, it just kind of ends. 
and it wasn't necessarily expecting that. It just like I I I like the ending. I like what kind of what they were doing with it, but it just ends. So it's just one of those things where I'm like, huh. I was just sitting there, you know, I was I was here at home watching. I was like, oh, that's it. Did, did I miss something? What's what's going What's going on? Uh, so th- there is that. Um, this also takes place on Halloween, so you know it's a great you know something to throw on. Maybe it can be one of those movies that you you know throw on. I do recommend it. It's not too scary. I will, I will go out of the way and say that it's not too scary. It's creepy. It's creepy enough. It's like a ghost story, kind of. It's although it's not. There's no ghosts. Um, it's but it's you gotta. It's that sense of a ghost story, but it's really good. So you want to fill your horror gauge. I think this one's pretty good. I right, so only got a couple more movies left. This one's on the newer side. I didn't even know about this movie. Uh, it's called Sister Death. It's on Netflix. I didn't realize what it was that we kind of just threw it on. Me and my brother watched it and we kind of threw it on. And I didn't realize until the end that it was directed by Paco Plaza, who directed the first three Wreck movies, which I'm a huge fan of, or at least the first two. So the movie follows a soon-to-be nun played uh, or named Sister Narcisa. And the movie's in Spanish, so that's a you know uh, a negative for you there. Sorry, um, who is kind of a celebrity because she's a kind of a, a miracle child. And the movie starts off kind of with this eight millimeter footage of her in a small town as a, as a small child, and you kind of you know get the idea that you know she obviously is a miracle child because all these people are around her, and you don't really. I, I think you get a sense of what it is, but you kind of sense that she saw something, like she she saw something holy. And they all treat her that way. So anyway, the movie jumps 10 years, um, which doesn't seem like 10 years because it says 10 years, but it seems like not enough time. So we, we don't ever really get a gauge of how young she's supposed to be because she's like a small girl. I don't know, maybe like eight years old in this movie. And then she just it's 10 years later, but she doesn't appear 18. I don't know. I just it, the, you never really get a good gauge of how old she is. Uh, you know, she's young. Um, but anyway, she ends up at an old convent. This is post-war also. This is supposed to be post-war Spain. Uh, so she goes to an old convent um, that um, it, when she gets there, she kind of sees like bullets. And one of the other sisters, you know, tells her like, you know, we were attacked, but, you know, we we stayed and we held through. And um, she starts seeing, she starts uh, being haunted, basically. Uh, it's small stuff and you, you kind of figure out, you're trying to figure out what it is. And, um, she finds out, you know, there's a mystery in the convent. And obviously it's a, it's a newer movie, so I don't want to give too much away, but, um, I didn't know what to expect. Obviously I didn't know anything about this movie at all. It's not outrightly scary. This is more, again, more of a creepy movie. Um, very, uh, there is, you know, a few, you know, very big scares in this movie, but it's, it's very much more creepy than it is scary. Um, but especially considering the premise that it warrants, it kind of, you know, old convent nun you expect you know this full blown out you know horror movie uh not like the nun but you know some this is very much more tame in a good way because it's more creepy um at least i found it that way so i would give it a recommend i I think it is i i would i did expect more it's a very short movie it it never slows down it's very quick it moves um i just wanted a little bit more i guess i i would have been okay if it was a little longer so they can explain more stuff but yeah that's me all right the next movie five nights at freddy's um, I want to say, you can tell by the tone, you can tell, hopefully t- tell by the tone of my voice, what I thought about Five Nights at Freddy's. I want to say right off the bat, I never played the games. I know little to nothing about the game lore and the books. Apparently I didn't even know there were books. So I was coming at this knowing two things that it is a well-known IP and the fans were, you know, eagerly expecting it because this movie has been in the works for a long time. Uh, and 
it, it it's so long that it wasn't originally set up at Blumhouse. It was originally set up at Warner Brothers, and then Warner Brothers lost it, and Blumhouse came and picked it up. So that's all I knew about the movie. And I will say this movie is not great for me, anyway. I know again, I've I've never played the games. I know nothing to little about it. I did think that there were some good things going for it. I like that they hired. I really like the hired uh, the Jim Henson company to actually come and make the towering animatronic bears. Uh, if you went to the Halloween Horror Nights, they had a, a Blumhouse experience kind of there. I don't know if they had it at Orlando. I know they had it in, in California because that's where I went. Um, they had the actual animatronic bears there on display, and they were very tall. They were bigger than I thought they were going to be. So that was pretty cool. I did think the dual storylines were cool. I found I find out later that you know that this is kind of something that was in the games, but I kind of like the the other story, not necessarily the 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 animatronic story i find the other story the, the the other story that's in the movie more interesting kind of although at the same time it's like okay like if you do what you wanted to do in that like then what like what happens like this is really more about trauma it's a, it's a trauma story too at the very end of the day um so i kind of i, I don't know i guess i kind of like that more than the, the bears because there's a point in the movie where it's like oh we're going that direction like okay i, I did not expect that and again, don't want to give to give away too much, especially for this one, because this one just came out. But yeah, I, I don't know. I I, I don't know how to feel about it. I, it kind of feels like, I, I don't know. I, just, I didn't like it. I'm sorry. I didn't like it over. I just wasn't a fan of the movie. Uh, and I know maybe it's because I'm maybe it's because I'm not attached to the property like others. I know it's very mixed bag. I know there's a lot of people out there who play the games that like the movie. And there's a lot of people out there that play the games that don't like the movie. And it does feel like people who are not familiar with the games did not like the movie at all. Um, so it's going to be one of those movies that's very divisive. It's doing very well at the box office. It's doing great numbers out there. Uh, even though it is also streaming on Peacock, it's doing great numbers at the box office. So it looks like we might get a sequel. I know uh, Jason Blum and Blumhouse are very excited and they want this to be one of their next franchises. So um, we can probably expect more Five Nights at Freddy's movies, especially considering that they're doing very well at the box office. All right. So this is the last movie I want to talk about. And I wanted to finish the list with this. When Evil Lurks. It's a Spanish movie. Just want to get that out of the way as well. This movie is brutal. Brutal. The less you know about this movie, uh, I would say the better. All you need to know about this movie, I'm not going to give away too much because just, this just also came out like on VOD. It is a possession movie, not in the traditional sense. And the movie goes out of its way at the beginning to make you know the rules and how they're going to handle the possession movie and or the possessions in this movie. It feels original, it feels fresh, and it gets you invested early on and it keeps you invested for the rest of the movie. If you're a horror fan, if you're a fan of possession movies in any sort of way, and you're like, ah, you know, I've seen all the possession movies. They're all the same. They're all, you know, ripoffs of The Exorcist. Give When Evil Lurks a chance because it is something I highly recommend. It is something that, again, it feels original. It feels fresh. I like what they were doing. It's also a movie, especially in horror movies, it is a horror movie that can shock you because I watched this movie and there are parts in this movie that, I was not expecting and moments that happened where I'm, I literally jumped in my seat, not because it's a jump scare, but because I did not expect it to happen, <laughs> especially in one particular moment where like, you know, it's coming. You're like, no, they're not going to do it. And then it happens and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, this movie, it, it also gives me hope 
that more people, you know, find this movie. And I hope that future horror filmmakers will look at this and be like, I can take inspiration from this. Let's play by the rules that they created. I cannot praise this movie enough. I really can't. It is something that I highly recommend that you listen, that you watch and that you watch as clean as possible. Don't even watch the trailer. Just watch the movie. When Evil Lurks. Very, very good. Just be prepared. This movie is brutal. It will probably break you at the end. Just, yeah, there you go. All right. That's it. That's all I got. That's my list. Uh, it's a very extensive list. I watched a lot of horror. Mo- I watched a lot more horror movies than I thought this year. But the horror movies are not over, because next month we still have one big horror theater release on the seventeenth, and it's Eli Roth's Return to Horror and Thanksgiving, uh, which is based, of course, off the spoof trailer he did for Grindhouse way back in two thousand seven. So there you have it. Those are the ho- that's the horror movie roundup. So uh, I don't know. We'll take a look at that and see how how that turns out. Uh, let me know you kind listener who has sat through this podcast what were some of your favorite horror movies or horror adjacent movies maybe you watched some of those movies that i did not watch maybe you have different opinions of the movies that i watched was this year better than last year was it a letdown uh was it the same um let me know uh whatever you whatever it is let me know on the social media links down below if you're listening to this on youtube you just you know go right there in the comment section go follow all that stuff Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I hope you had a very, very happy Halloween, a very safe Halloween. Hope you are not, you know, hung over on too much chocolate and candy. Hopefully you all had a good spooky season and uh, I'll see you guys next time right here on the Movie Pit Podcast where we will talk more movies. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys so much and I will see you guys next time.